It is a real pleasure to participate in this symposium. We are talking about a subject which is very sensitive at this time. And it would be sensitive at any time. I guess from the very beginning it was. The first time when the church began to talk about it was in 1881. We, we don't say much about that occasion because there is not much to say. It just came in. It was discussed at, at the session, a general conference session. And then it was taken to the administrative committee of the general conference through a small committee, and that issue never came back again. So what to say? Only this, and that's it. The real history of this matter in the church came late in the last century. I mean, in the middle to the end of the last century. And we are talking about Moheven, but Moheven was in 1973. The, the meeting in Moheven was caused by a question that came to the General Conference from Europe, from one of the northern countries of Europe came a question, and that was, could we ordain women? Is there in the Bible and the spirit of prophecy anything that would prevent us from ordaining women? So the General Conference appointed a committee of three, three scholars. And let me tell you, scholars have been always involved. And they took not too long. They gave a unanimous report. And the report was very simple and straight. Uh, there is no base in the Bible, neither in the spirit of prophecy, which are the two most authoritative sources for all Adventists in the world, of ordaining women to the gospel ministry. There is no authorization at all in either one of the two sources. I think that was the nicest report that the church ever got on the subject. And to me, that was enough. At that point, it should have been closed. The answer went to Europe. And it should have been said, this is what, what we find in the Bible, in the spirit of prophecy. Therefore, no need to 
get into anything related to the subject anymore. But you know how it is. Whenever human beings ask a question pretending to get the answer they have in mind, they never get any, any other answer. If they get it, then they begin to create new questions. Actually, many questions. And then we got into the many questions. Because the General Conference, listening to these people, appointed, appointed a committee in 1973. That was the beginning of the discussion. Uh, it was called the Committee on the Role of Women in the Church. I want to call your attention. The question was on ordination of women. And that was already answered. So to call a committee about ordination of women was very awkward. And in this diplomacy of the higher levels, that would not be proper. So the Committee on the Role of Women in the Church was very appropriate because in the whole world we were all clear that there are many roles that women could play in the church. Yeah. And that committee was supposed to say what were those roles. Guess what? The committee was appointed. Names of members were specified, 23 members. 12 women, 11 men. A chair who was a vice president of the General Conference, Pastor Willis Hackett, who was a, a man of God, a good man to be the, the president of the committee. And a secretary, the secretary was Gordon Hyde, at the moment, BRI director, which seemed to be very appropriate to produce a good study and an excellent report. But there was one thing that I want you to keep in mind. The committee was appointed but no term of references for the committee. This is very unusual at DGC. And I know this because I used to work as an associate secretary of DGC. And I know very well how we do when we appoint the committee. The terms of reference is the mandate, what the committee should do. It was an open mandate. 
An open mandate is no mandate. And that way could come in whatever other thing which is not in the name of the committee. And that is what happened. Because these members didn't do anything about the role of women. They began to discuss ordination of women. So all that what was needed to say this is open for women became still closed. And the objective of the study was changed. But actually, we never said we are changing. And from there on, there were committees, groups, commissions appointed, one after the other, all of them under, under the name of role of women in the church. But what we were doing in, in reality was discussing ordination. I didn't attend the first one, 1973. At that time, I was just out of the seminary, Andrews University, back in South America. So I could not be a member of such a high-profile committee. But next time, I was included. And from there on, I became a member in all the committees up to TUSC. Amen. So there are a few guys, very few, that today are old enough to have been in all these committees. <laughs> because others passed away already. And um, I guess George Reed is one of them. And I cannot recall any, any other one who was in all these meetings. Anyway, I'm, I'm going to pay attention to this 1973 Mohaven meeting because this was the foundation for all the discussion of women's ordination. Here is where the tendencies of thinking, where the uh, strategies for this uh, matter were established. Everything that actually came after has its roots in this meeting and in this committee. That is, to, to me, very important. 25 papers were written for that committee. And uh, it, it, is, it is, is, to me, very, very interesting. Only four of them actually had a title somehow related to ordination. Like, for example, a theology of ordination insights of a social scientist on ordination of women, 
considerations on issues related to the ordination of women, types of roles available for ordained women in the church. That to me was very strange because there is no mystery once you ordain a woman, what is her role? It has been in the history of the church ever since there was the first ordained ministers in the Christian church, uh, we, we know what they were doing. So it was very strange kind of thing to say uh, the roles available for ordained women. And the rest of the papers, they were all under the heading of role of women, but none of them actually tackled the subject. It, they were all on the ordination. This is one of the trends that is beginning at that time. This was the case all through the 40 years that we have been studying from 1973 Mohaven meetings up to 2013 task. 40 years. Doing the same thing. You know, because you cannot invent too many things. When you, <laughs> you, when you go to search the scriptures about women's ordination, they have been using a few biblical texts. And those were repeated in every single committee that came afterward. As if we could find anything new in this old Bible, which is always the same, coming from a God who never changes, uh, and um, trying to be faithful to a Jesus Christ who is always the same, and trying to follow the inspiration of a Holy Spirit who would never contradict himself. He would always say the same. Even when he, at this late time, would in inspire us into anything, he would never contradict what he has already said in the scriptures. So what new could come in this repetition? No, there were no new things. But anyway, there was needed something. And there was the majority of papers on favor of ordination, and the majority of the members of the committee were in favor of ordination. And you may guess, this happened in every single committee that was appointed from there on. Majority of the members 
in favor, in favor, majority of the papers in favor. Probably the closest occasion in which the papers were just about the same from both sides was in Tosk, but not the members. The members kept the trend, but that is too far away in our uh, consideration. Let's go in order of time. So this paper, one of the paper was entitled The Role of Women Today, A Theology of Relationship, Men to Women. And I'm going to take this one as an example of what began to become a trend. Because this one deals with biblical material. Particularly, there are three biblical texts that are taken in the paper. First Peter 2.9, which is very well known. First Corinthians 11, 2 to 16, and 1 Timothy 2, 11 to 15. Later on in the paper, you will find also Galatians 3, 26 and 28. These texts are going to be always present. I mean, you cannot avoid them if you are coming from the side that is in favor of ordination, I mean. So they found their biblical base right here. But they were quite honest in their papers. This paper I'm talking about was written by I would say the most beloved professor, Andrew's professor at, the, at that time. He was my professor, and that generation, he covered everybody. And we all talked about the, the nice way he would present his classes. He was very uh, clear in his exposition of the material and usually very close to the Bible. So it came to many of us as a big surprise what he did, he did at that committee with this paper. The first part, which was the discussion about the biblical material, he was very fair. Uh, but he came to the conclusion that this paper were written to defend the dignity of marriage. And then he comes to the following biblical conclusion, which is on his own words. Women share in the universal priesthood of the people of God and in the evangelism of 
the world. They do not seem to share in the ministry of the church. This is his conclusion. After doing exegesis of the texts. Not in the ministry. But then he built up a theological argument. I'm, I'm looking at trends. The theological argument in favor of the ordination of women based on public ministry of a prophetess. That was his way to bring in what he didn't find in the biblical texts. So now it is not a biblical text, no biblical content. What he is working now is with a theological argument based on a similarity that he attributed to the higher authority of the prophet compared to the minister of the gospel. He came this way to say, it is true that in the family, man is the head of the woman. In the church, however, which is a body of which Christ is the sole head, it is different. You see, we have heard in Tosk this argument, nothing new. The same argument, the same thing. Uh, I read recently somebody saying in a kind of history of the headship in the church that the headship was never studied before nor considered in any discussion. But later now in Tosk, we came in with this uh, rather new argument. It was in 1973, first committee. Then he points to the use of Galatians 3.26 to 28. And he did two things with this text. First, he said it is a theological statement. Second, it is the hermeneutical principle to interpret all the texts related to women. So now we have a new hermeneutic and an understanding of the content of Galatians, which is not the one Paul is talking about. What Paul is talking about is the equality of men, women, slaves, and everyone referred in the text toward 
salvation. They are all equal as to salvation. And um, I'm going to just read what Paul actually says. I begin in chapter 3:26, for you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. This is clear for everybody. No one would contest such a declaration. Then, for as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. That is a reference to baptism. And then he goes on to say, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ. And if you are one, if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Sons of God, his heirs to the promise. This is the context. For that you are one. No reference at all about ministers. So how could anybody take this sentence as a hermeneutical principle to get to the conclusion that here, woman is authorized to become a minister of the church. You could understand how some of us were shocked that from the mouth of this kind of professor we admired came such a thing. He was a theology professor, but very much close to the Bible. And we respected the way he treated the biblical text. But this time, he was way off the text. For us, it was unbelievable. And we talked, a few guys who were his former students, and even we had the occasion to, to evaluate when we came to the next meeting, 1975, we said to ourselves, and you know how students speak about their for former professors. So you professors, watch out. The students keep talking about you for generations. And I'm talking 40 years later for, for about this professor. It was amazing because it wasn't his way of doing regularly his theology. But at this time, it seems to me that these guys, all of them, came to the feeling that they had to come with this conclusion. Somehow they had to favor ordination of women. 
And he would say this. It was for this reason that the apostolic church, the good news by preaching and by behavior, had uh, the, the church guard among other things against the regular participation of women in the ministry because they wanted to have a good behavior to impress people for evangelism, evangelistic purposes. Not because God was telling us anything. The church wanted to be politically correct with the community. That was the reason. And then he adds, the reason of the church, that is the New, the New Testament time church, I think, comma, probably, comma, were based on that which is proper and fitting. Do you get? He was not saying God told us. He was saying we are doing what is proper and fitting. He, he is not concluding I am based on the biblical text. I think. Probably. This is a built up way of reasoning parallel to the scripture. It is not the scripture content. It is another thing which theologians are used to do in general. Not everyone. But he was doing this. And what is amazing, more amazing even, is the fact that he knew what he was doing. He could not ignore because he was a very smart person. When you depart from the text and build up another reasoning, you have to know it. And he knew it because he says it in the paper. So how could you, any one of us, who has the Bible the way we understand the Bible in our traditional hermeneutic, how could somebody do this kind of thing? Anyway, it's a mystery. You know, the human mind sometimes have, has motivations that nobody else can discover. And we are not allowed to superimpose a motivation on a mind that didn't express clear his understanding, but he actually said, because he says that I think, this is not from the Bible, I think, he said, probably, I'm not sure, but probably this was the case. So it is clear. In that 19... 73 more heaven meetings there were only two papers against ordination of women 
only two. These two were written by women. And uh, you can smile and think whatever is in your mind. Uh, but these women were very strong in their views. One took or presented a comprehensive study on Old Testament and New Testament material and the spirit of prophecy. And she came to this conclusion. Although there are vast areas where the women of the church can serve with distinction, the ordained ministry is not one of them. After going through the Bible and the spirit of prophecy, this was her conclusion. The other one, I don't go through the whole argumentation because you already know how, how it goes when a person comes to this conclusion. It is in harmony with what is clear in the Bible. The other persons, the other woman who was against ordination said specifically then, I do not suggest any of the following. One, that women be ordained to the ministry. Two, that women be placed in preponderantly administrative roles where men must work under their direct supervision. All of the rest we could do. And these two women were very well known in the church, very influential. One was at the seminary, the other one was at the review. So you may imagine, all those who attended the seminary were influenced by the first one. I mean, in that generation. And those who read the articles of the second one would be influenced by somebody who writes frequently in the Review and Herald. Okay, this is as far as papers is concerned. Now we go to, to the role of women according to the, the church, the report of the, of the church committee, 17 pages. In those 17 pages, <clears throat> The report says that <clears throat> men and women are equal. And then there is a silence in the scripture about ordination of women. There is no evidence that they could be ordained uh, or they could not. Well, you know, 
This has been another trend. We have been always talking that the Bible doesn't say anything about yes or not, ordination for women to the ministry. That is not true. And the report would say that there was no agreement in the members of the committee, but giving the, the impression that we would not be in agreement to the text Actually, there were, were many of us in all these committees that were entirely in agreement with the fact that they, there is no reference, therefore, there is no authorization for ordination. But they, then they take the, the silence. And the silence became another door open for the discussion to continue. At that moment, <clears throat> whoever it, it, it was behind this, because, because let, let me tell you, there were members of the committees, there were those who were leaders of the committee, but we had always the impression that there was somebody behind. I'm not talking about one person, probably were many, but somebody who was not leader of the committee, neither member of the committee, who was pressing the, the, the leaders. Because at that moment, when we came to the conclusion that there was silence, we could have read the spirit of prophecy ad advising about the silence in the scriptures. When question ar questions arise upon which we are uncertain, let us ask, what saith the scripture? And if the scripture is silent upon the question at issue, let it not be made the subject of discussion. This is Ellen White, very clearly. And it is in Gospel Workers 3.14. But we didn't pay attention to this. We just kept go going. The only real thing that this committee did was to advise for further study. <laughs> Not a word on any other th important matter, but further study. So another committee was appointed. And carry on the information we got from this committee, these trends that we are talking about, to the ones we already referred to, now we add this, this one, the use of a different hermeneutic, and one that I'm not 
said anything yet, but from now on, it will become a constant. The need to educate the world church to accept ordination of women. It was said in these meetings, and from there on, in almost every meeting that we needed to educate the world church. You see, those of us who were coming from outside got the feeling that we had a first-class members of the church or leaders and a second class. Those from the first class, no matter whether they were many or just a few, they were right. And the other guys who came from the underdeveloped world, those guys don't have a mind. They don't know how to study the Bible. They don't know how to come to conclusions. They are superficial, ignorance. And that came even at the meetings in Tosk. This time not talking about geography, but talking about those who would not accept women ordination. All of them. In the group I was, it was said plainly that those who were in favor, they were serious students of the Bible. And th those who were against, were superficial students of the Bible. That was said now plainly. You know why they changed the geographical concept into positions uh, on, on ordination? Because now they cannot say the other divisions of the world are, are all ignorance because there are more theology doctors out of this highly developed countries than here. So what do you do with those? Are you going to say them? You cannot think. Those guys have been writing books, producing tons of material, and uh, I would say much more than many who are highly developed. So now, they had to change a little bit. Not the intention, but yes, the way to say it. Then came 1975. This was role of women study group. The BRI organized the studies and the reports were given uh, at the meetings of BRI. BRI Executive Committee uh, is a rather large group made up from people for, uh, coming from all over the world. Every division has the right at that time to appoint one, had the right to appoint one member. And it, ha it happened at that time that I was that member at BRI from South American Division. Uh, it wasn't because I was somebody important, it, because 
in my area, there were very few who would be able to understand English. I don't say, say to speak because we speak very badly, but we understand it. And then, uh, since there were so few, I was the lucky one to participate. And this report came to these meetings. Again, papers were presented, mm, repeating the same subjects. And uh, one of the papers is exegesis of 1 Timothy 2, 11 to 15. The same pattern, going through the text itself, the writer would come to the conclusion that there was no um, base for the nation of women. But then he went on into the uh, second part of the paper, which he called implications. And in the implications, he came up with uh, the idea that um, the hermeneutic, hermeneutic principles were based on uh, Galatians. So certainly he communicated with the other professor from Andrews because this one also was an Andrews professor. So it kept, kept going uh, the, same, the same direction and uh, the same text were again uh, presented. Uh, another paper deals with E.G. White councils. And this was a lady. She said that there is not much material in Ellen White about ordination of women. And actually there are only two, two texts that could be ta taken seriously. Only two. And she took one of those. Uh, the one that uh, uh, was published uh, in, in the, the, the 1885 text in the review, 1895 at the review. And, uh, she went ignoring totally the content, but taking up only the fact that uh, the imposition of hands could be made on women. Not talk, talking anything about the temporary job, about the specific job that was uh, uh, said that women could do. Uh, and, and then she went on to quote another text about uh, the characteristics that are taken in consideration for the ordination of men. And she did something very interesting. She crossed out all the references to men, put between brackets uh, women, and actually applied to women all that was said by Ellen G. White 
about men. And uh, I'm not going to get into this detail here, but if anyone would like to see it, uh, we could give the reference. That was the way it developed, this process at that time. Then it came 1985, role of women in the church committee. Uh, this one uh, was in preparation to the session that was coming. Uh, the, the meeting of the committee happened in March. The session was coming in June, July. And uh, then uh, the recommendation of the committee was to take no action. The report went to the 1985 GC session. And actually, the discussion was a little bit long, but not too long. It was not allowed too, too long a time for this. But the decision was to take no action. They took an action to take no action. Uh, The big battle would come five years later, 1990. And then after that, 1995. Those are the two sessions that normally everybody takes as important. Uh, but you see, we are here just keeping on with trends that began in 1973. We kept the same subjects the same text, the same spirit of prophecy quotations, and the same intention to educate the world. Even when we decided in 1990 not to ordain women, it was said in the preamble that this was the decision of the General Conference at this time, making room for coming in in another time. And certainly, that time came in 1995 with the request of the North American Division, uh, this time to allow certain divisions to ordain women. And the others who would not like to ordain women could go on on their, on their historical stand. Well, that was not approved either. So we have actually three sessions. We talk mostly about the two more important ones, in which larger discussion was made. But there were three, 85, 90, 95. In every one, the answer was no. Now we are talking about the next session. Tos came in with the same text, with the same hermeneutic. This hermeneutic based on principle from the 1973 is coming in. This uh, intention of educating the world is still going on. And let me tell you, I have the feeling that if we do not allow women to be ordained in this next session, which I think may be the case, 
the subject is going to keep on. Because somebody is thinking that, or a, a group of people are thinking that they are right even if the whole world is wrong. I mean, could it be in this way that we do business that the whole world is wrong and we who think that are right has to carry the day? That is very amazing. We need to go to find a way to end this conversation. And the only way to end happily, to have a happy end, is to follow the scriptures and the spirit of prophecy. Any other intent is going to put us again in difficulties, as it has been the case all through history, whenever the people of God did anything in opposition to God's will, the result was confusion, destruction, and to say the least, destruction from the mission. Israel was 40 years in the desert just because they didn't want to do what God was telling them to do. We could save all this time. Though all this energy, we could save all this money just making one small, big decision to keep the orientation from the Bible. To do what is the will of God. But this is the question we normally don't ask in this 40 years discussion. We seldom say we want to do the will of God. Let's look for the will of God in the scriptures. We don't say that. We pick other subjects, but the right question is still pending. I hope that this coming session will finally, the delegates, come to re the realization that what we need to do is to do the will of God. Amen. And do it no matter the consequences, because doing the will of God, of God, the consequences are always blessed Amen. by God. And with his blessing, this church could go very strongly in fulfilling the mission. Amen. It is not going to fulfill the mission and authorization of women ordination. That is clear in what is happening right now in the world. Wherever this subject is not being under discussion, the mission is going fast and full speed ahead. Wherever the discussion is present, the mission has actually stopped.
And we need to come to that realization and keep on going with what God wants the church to do at this time. One anecdote, just to finish. We were in Tosk, a meeting at noon, you know, that is a pleasant moment. Talking, people uh, from one side and the other. Mark Finlay was to my right, and he said to me, Mario, tell me, what is the strongest argument in opposition to ordination of women? And I said, I don't look for any argument anymore. At this time, I'm looking for attitudes. And the attitude to obey God is the only one that is going to solve the matter. Amen. And I pray that God will, will help us to have the obedient attitude of children of God to go through this problem and actually end it forever. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.